Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would teach us how to ascend to the mountain where you dwell and do, Lord, fit us for that journey that we might draw near to you with confidence and joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I want to talk about going up the mountain of the Lord. Today's reading from Exodus involves various people going up and down Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, upon which the Lord had settled his presence, veiled in glory. At the end of this chapter, Moses makes this kind of is it a solo ascent? Is Joshua with him? Anyway, it's a small remnant of the people, just represented by Moses, really. Uh, makes this final ascent into the fiery cloud and disappears. Verse 17 and 18. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went on up the mountain. And he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Now when you read that, do you envy Moses at all? You might say, no way. He's up and down that mountain like the grand old Duke of York's men. Spare my poor knees. And what about the smoke and the fire? Do I really want to get close to that? But going up the mountain means drawing near to God, coming into his presence, being surrounded by his glory. Verse 15, when Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. This call, this is a fascinating call, an attractive call to come near to God. Because the question is not really do you want to climb a mountain and breathe in thick smoke. The question is, do you want to draw near to God? Do you want to know him? Do you want to have a personal relationship to him? Do you want to connect with him? And there are reasons why you might want to do this. You might want help. In all the troubles of life, all the things that go wrong or that you fear will go wrong, dangers, enemies, difficulties and disasters, you might want God's help. So if I can be near to God, if I can connect to him, if I can know him and he can know me, I could do with help. Or you might want to just have God. If God, the best the holiest, the mightiest and wisest, indeed the source and the pattern of all goodness, all sanctity, all power and all wisdom can be mine and yours. What could be better? If I could rest in God, if you and I could do that, we could live now all the more. We could live a meaning-filled life, a life where we and others really mattered. A life less lonely and random and absurd and more coherent and hopeful and at peace. And so if these are some reasons to consider why it would be good to ascend the mountain of the Lord, to draw, to draw near to God, then the question is next comes, how is it done? 
What does Exodus 24 tell us about that ascent? Well, firstly, we can say it is done by those who are committed to obey God's words. Last week, we're in Exodus 20, where God spoke his famous word, the Ten Commandments. We've skipped over chapters 20 to 23, which contain further various laws and ordinances. And in chapter 24, the people are, all these are announced and presented to the people by God, and they commit themselves to living God's way. Verse 3 of today's chapter, when Moses went down, or sorry, went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said, we will do. And to that initial commitment, they add a more formal one. In verse 7, he took, Moses took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. Because the mountain of the Lord, you see, is a place where the Lord's teaching goes out from. Uh, Here's Isaiah 2, verses 2 and 3. In the last days, says Isaiah, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The mountain of the Lord is a place uh, for those who walk in his ways, who obey his teachings. This is Psalm 15, 1 to 3. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose way of life is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander. It does no wrong to a neighbour and casts no slur on others. It's only when the Israelites commit themselves to obey the Lord's words that their representatives, the priests and the elders and Moses, can draw near to God on his holy mountain. That's the first thing. To draw near to God on his holy mountain, you need to be committed to obeying his words, to receiving his teaching. The second thing is this. Only those who are marked by the blood of the covenant may go up the mountain of the Lord. Now, it may seem rather strange and gory to us, um, but as well as a commitment to obey the Lord, Israel needed to be marked by the blood of sacrifice. Moses builds an altar and burnt offerings and fellowship offerings are brought and the blood of this sacrifice is taken and is used to mark firstly the altar. Verse 6, Moses took half the blood and put it on the bowls The other half he splashed against the altar, but not just the altar, the people as well. The people who are involved in this covenant, this deal, this commitment, this mutual commitment of God and Israel. Verse 8, Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. On this, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, comments that the law requires nearly everything to be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so this blood that marks both the altar and the Israelites signifies cleansing from sin. And we need this cleansing if we are to draw near to God, for we are not blameless We do not speak the truth from our heart. We do not utter no slander. We do not do no wrong to our neighbour. We are crooked and weak and wanting. And we need a sacrifice 
to cleanse us from our sin. God made a covenant with Israel so that even a crooked, weak and wanting nation could draw near to him. And so Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God. They ate and drank. Now, you can talk to me after the service about how this seeing God fits in with things we read elsewhere in the Bible, for instance, in John chapter 1, that no one has ever seen God. We can have a conversation over morning tea about all the nuances of that. I won't unpick it all here. But, parking that very good question, what Exodus 24 presents is an encounter with the Lord that is one of peace and acceptance, of fellowship and openness. The Lord does not raise his hand against these people. He welcomes them. There's a meal, a drawing near, although not too near, to God in his real presence. Seeing him is knowing him in some way. He is, to be sure, mysterious. We don't get a description of him. He's said to have feet, but perhaps higher than that, did anyone dare look? I don't know. And he is standing on a, a crystal pavement, which is rather glorious. And so he's mysterious and glorious. He does not break out against Israel's representatives. He welcomes them. And yet there is still a closer approach which might be made. And only Moses really is allowed to make that further final ascent to the very peak of the mountain and into that cloud of God's glory. And come in two Sundays' time when we pick up what happens to Moses on that mountain, in that cloud of glory, in those 40 days and nights, we await But for us now, let's ask, well, what about us? Can we go up the mountain of the Lord? Now, Mount Sinai is the kind of raw, wild, original mountain of the Lord. Um, Later in the Old Testament, we get the more polished, built and ordered mountain of the Lord, which is Mount Zion, topped by the temple of the Lord with its splendid courts and its holy places in Jerusalem. But the New Testament says that through Jesus, we who believe in him belong, well, not directly and immediately to Sinai, that kind of wild, original mountain of the Lord, nor do we belong to the earthly Jerusalem with its its stately temple, with its splendid courts. But we belong to the new Jerusalem. Let me read again, as I read last week from Hebrews 12. You, believer, have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. 
This is a picture of not just the elders and the priests going up the mountain, but all of us, every believer, being welcome on the mountain of the heavenly Jerusalem. It's a wonderful, joyous picture, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And this is the new covenant of which Jesus is the mediator, not Moses. And it is his sprinkled blood, not the blood of a sacrifice of an animal, that marks those who ascend that mountain. Paul also uses this idea that we belong uh, to the Jerusalem that is above. He says in Galatians 4, the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. If we are believers, we belong to her. And so for us Christians, there is no mountain or temple on earth for us to ascend or enter. We do not worship on a mountain or in a built temple in which God dwells. We worship, as John puts it, or as Jesus puts it in John 4, we worship the Father in spirit and truth. But in this way, we do draw near to God. We, in a way, ascend the mountain of the Lord. In fact, we draw nearer than ever to God. And these things are also true of us. We draw near to God, marked by the blood of the new covenant, the blood of Jesus. At the Last Supper, Jesus gave the cup to his disciples, saying, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The blood of sacrificial animals symbolised a cleansing from sin, but it did not actually bring that cleansing about. The self-sacrifice of the Son of God actually brought about atonement for sin. It brought forgiveness. Without Jesus' death on the cross for us, we could not draw near to God. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain, a fearsome sight. And without the blood of the covenant, without Jesus' blood being shed for us, God's glory would be for us a consuming fire. If we try to draw near to God without trusting in the covenant sacrifice Jesus offered for us, we won't be able to do so. It's also true that uh, all of us who would draw near to God must commit ourselves to obey the Lord. Ancient Israel had a law to obey and we Christians have a gospel to obey. Roman, uh, Paul says in Romans 1 that God has given him this task to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And he goes on to say in Romans 6, to live by faith is to offer every part of yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness. There is this self-offering to obedience that is true of us as well as we ascend the mountain of the Lord. And thinking of all the parts of ourselves, let's think about our tongues just for a moment. Let's think about the words we speak that well up from our hearts. Ephesians 4 says... Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour. Now, this truthful speaking has many dimensions. Unjustified lies are out, obviously. We should not be people who have deceiving tongues. But perhaps we should also be committed to knowing the truth so we can speak it. It's easy sometimes to convince ourselves of self-justifying stories. For example, this falling out that I'm having with X, 
It's all on them. If they weren't so why, you know, so stubborn, you know, so belligerent, so blind, there would be no problem. It's easy to tell yourself and to believe yourself that story, which may be indeed a falsehood, is the truth that there is a way in which you have contributed to this situation. And if you were more ready and able to see that truth about yourself and to put off the falsehood, would you be ready to speak truthfully both to yourself and others? How can you put off falsehood, even those falsehoods you've come to believe or attempted to believe? We must commit ourselves to obey the Lord, to offer every part of ourselves to him as instruments of righteousness and truth. So, through Jesus, we can draw near to God. We can go up the mountain of the Lord. We can have peace and fellowship with him. We can know him and be known by him. We can receive his help. We can find our rest in him. This is available to us. And I hope many of you here know this. You know what I'm talking about. Sprinkled with the blood of the covenant, the leaders of Israel could draw near to God with confidence. God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God. They ate and drank. And sprinkled with the blood of Christ, we can have even more confidence. Again, Hebrews 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. There's great confidence we can have that the way is open for us to draw near to God, to ascend that mountain, to go even into the most holy place, the highest peak, to see God in his glory. We don't see that yet, but we have that acceptance now and we will see it in the end. And in the meantime, in Jesus, we make it our aim to obey the word of the Lord. And so Hebrews goes straight on to say, let us also consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. This commitment to obey is also there for us. And the good deeds we might be committed to include putting off falsehood, speaking truthfully, both to ourselves and to our neighbours. And in this way we go up the mountain of the Lord, we draw near to God, we eat and drink at peace with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise you that you have made a way for us to approach you, to draw near to you, to know you, be known by you, to be at rest in you. Your Son has opened for us a new and living way into your presence and so give us pure hearts and steadfast wills to worship you in spirit and in truth. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.